Well, I'd ask you to join me in opening up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And tonight we're going to be taking a look at verses 9 through 11 in Philippians. Now you remember that Paul had written this letter. This is one of his prison epistles. He's in a Roman jail at the moment, uh, awaiting a verdict. He's been accused of treason, of um, getting people to worship, or rather to, to bow the knee to someone else. To Jesus as Lord. Um, and obviously, Paul did not think that calling Christ Lord uh, was something that interfered with accepting the, uh, the status of Caesar as the head of uh, the Roman Empire, but at the same time, he could not call Caesar Lord. Uh, and that was one of the things that uh, tripped up many Christians at this point in time. Um, but Paul is dealing, obviously, is he's received this gift from the Philippian congregation, and he's very grateful for it. You remember back uh, at this point in time, uh, the Romans didn't provide for you. If you were in a Roman jail awaiting trial and verdict, uh, you had to support yourself. You had to provide the food that you would eat, the clothes that you would wear, and all of those things. So um, the Philippians had sent him a gift, which was greatly appreciated, especially in his circumstances. And now he's writing to help them. His, uh, his main concern is for the Philippian congregation that he knows and loves so well. And we know that there were... Uh, there were problems going on within that congregation, problems that were uh, caused by pride. Now, it's, a, it's an odd thing, but a church can be very, very active in terms of outreach to the community. They can be involved in um, food banks, homeless projects, missions of all different sorts, and yet the church itself can be racked with pride. People within it are very jealous for their particular positions, uh, their titles, and so on, sometimes at war with other members who they feel are not giving them respect or who hold positions perhaps that they want. So it's, uh, it's at one, uh, it's bizarre, but it's possible to be charitable and proud at the same time. Uh, this ought not to be the case. And Paul is now sending before them, or he's going to be sending before them even more strongly, the example of Christ and his perfect humility, which we talked about last week. But before we now get into the rest of that argument and talk about how uh, the way up for Christians is down, uh, let us go to the Lord himself. God, our gracious Father, I pray now, Lord, that you would help us as we struggle with all the same things that afflicted the Philippian congregation. Lord, we too can be just as easily tripped up by the sin of pride. And we know the devil is just waiting to puff us up so that he can then deflate our, our heads or cause us to fall from the pillar that we've placed ourselves upon. I do pray, Lord, that you would help us, therefore, to take these things to heart and to honestly strive to empty ourselves, Lord, of our pride, to be willing to become small, that Christ might become large. May he be the one who, as we sung, we boast in rather than in ourselves. Now, Lord, please help me to divide your word. Give me the strength that I need to do so and the insight. I can't hope to open up and, and divide this aright unless I have your Holy Spirit to help me. So I pray, Lord, for that empowering, that unction. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11. I do remind you, this is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. I once uh, saw a bumper sticker um, that I've never been able to find since I saw it on somebody else's car. It was fairly simple. It said, every knee will bow, beat the rush. And uh, I thought to myself, there's a bumper sticker that I want, but I've never been able to find it. There's a, there's a truth there that's being expressed. Obviously, it's being done so in a, uh, in a somewhat tongue-in-cheek manner. But the fact is, every knee will bow. This is something that uh, Paul makes very clear, that Christ himself made clear. The day is coming when everyone will have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And they will either acknowledge that willingly or unwillingly. They will bow the knee, uh, still impenitent, still hating the very God who they are forced to worship and acknowledge, but eventually all knees will bow. And so therefore it behooves us to be bowing the knee here, now on earth, accepting the sovereignty of God, accepting his mercy expressed to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, last week we talked about how in order for Christ to set us free, to pay the ransom that we were just singing about, he had to empty himself of his glory. He had to set it aside. Uh, this is, he did not become less than God. We remember that Jesus is the Son of God. He is always 100% God, but he took to himself our nature, our human nature. As the confession puts it, he took to himself a true body and a reasonable soul. He added those to himself, so he became 100% God, or he remained, we should say, 100% God, and added to himself 100% human nature. And in so doing, though, he uh, took this, this demotion, stepping down uh, from the glory he once enjoyed. He set that aside. Uh, he who was worshipped by angels was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Uh, this was, of course, a, a great stoop on his part, but it was necessary if we were to be uh, saved. I used the example last week of the idea of a king coming out of his palace, getting off of his throne, taking off all of his robes, laying down his scepter, and instead putting on the, the clothes of a slave in order to save you know, people who were trapped in a mine cave in. Uh, able to, uh, uh, being willing to do that would be something uh, that would amaze people. Indeed, we know that the angels were amazed at the way that God had devised salvation through the death of his son. It was something completely unexpected. It is described as a mystery that God would do this, not just for the people who had always been the covenant people of God, the Jews, but for all mankind so that the Gentiles might have a savior as well. Now, Paul has set before them that, that, that example of Christ and how he was willing to be humiliated in order to do the work of salvation. And he has said, therefore, you must humble yourselves as well. You must be imitators of Christ. Now, there is a good sense in which we are, calling, uh, we are called upon to be imitators of Christ and a bad sense. Let me, um, uh, let me try to set them apart. When we say we want to imitate Christ in order that we might be saved uh, by doing what he did, okay, that is not good. All right? None of us can do the things that Jesus did. None of us are 100% God and 100% man. None of us are capable of dying for sins on the cross and simply acting in a moral way, as many uh, liberal preachers have, have preached through the years, saying uh, we need to, to act in the moral way that Christ did. We need to be wise and kind and so on. And if we do that, that's enough. 
But that's not enough, brothers and sisters. We need to be uh, imitators of Christ in that we need to have faith in him, to close with him, to depend upon him, to call him our Lord and our God, as Thomas did, but then to follow the example that he said. That is the good way. We need to follow his example in our own sanctification. The, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a trite saying, but what would Jesus do is not a bad question in many cases. You know? If you ask yourself in any particular setting, what would Christ do in this situation? Or what would one of Christ's disciples do in this situation? Or what should I, a disciple of Christ, be doing in this situation? You're on the right track there. Now, one of the things that Paul is striving, and remember, Paul is in jail at this point in time. He is striving desperately to show them that the way up for the Christian, the way to be exalted, is down. It's to lower yourself. It's to humble yourself. It's to think better of others than you do of yourself. If we want to be exalted in the hereafter, if we want glory in heaven, then we need to follow Christ's example, humbling ourselves here on earth. As Jesus said, in Matthew 23, 12, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it's, uh, it's a sad thing that his disciples, as they walked around with him all day, argued continuously about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. They always wanted their exaltation now, and that, unfortunately, is something, that's a disease that's afflicted Christians ever since. We always want our glory here and now. We want the titles. We want the positions. We want the, we want the big steeple. We want all of those things. Uh, but, brothers and sisters, unfortunately, if we get those things here and now, well, then we have our reward, as, as uh, Christ said of the Pharisees. We have the, uh, we have the acclaim of men, the honors of men. And they are fleeting indeed, and not what you should be striving for. You should be striving for a crown that never perishes. And as such, the way to achieve that crown is to humble yourself. So Christ is the great example of that law, the greatest example, obviously, of humbling yourself that you might be exalted later. And Paul goes on to, to complete this picture of Christ as a pattern for all Christians. Before he had spoken of Christ's descent, how he had come into the world, how he had taken to himself humanity and humility, how he had pursued obedience to the law of God as the incarnate son, keeping the law that we couldn't keep ourselves, and became a man for our sake. The funny thing is the Pharisees, they accuse Christ, they say, you being man, make yourself God, when it was exactly the opposite way around. He being God made himself man for our sake. He laid aside his glory. And here we see the, the end of that process. He humbles himself in order to complete the task, in order to save us from our sins, in order to die in our place, to have the Father's wrath poured out upon him on the cross instead of us in hell, and to be obedient perfectly to the law so that his righteousness might be given to us who believe in him, imputed to us and received by faith alone. That is done by Christ. And having died for our sins, he is no longer held by them. Then he rises from the dead and he ascends into heaven and he triumphantly enters. You remember the Roman generals after they had won a, a great victory or a great series of victories. Often they would be voted a, a triumph by the Senate. And then they would come into Rome leading their captives and with all their treasure and so on. And they would show how they had, they had crushed 
their enemies, seen them driven before them, and heard the lamentations of the women. Those of you who are Conan aficionados should uh, be able to recognize that one. But that really was what they were doing. They were, they were exalting this general who had won such a great victory for the people and the Senate of Rome. Jesus won the great victory against our three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, for our sakes. And now he enters into heaven triumphantly, sitting down at the right hand, the most exalted position of God the Father, but continuing to intercede for us, continuing to do that work, but in a highly exalted position. Uh, and so as his work is completed as he is resurrected, as he ascends, as he is coronated, and he enters into what is called his session at the right hand of God. God has, as Paul puts it, highly exalted himself. Now, as exalted as that language is, God has highly exalted him. Uh, it's not you know, said of, uh, of anybody else in the Bible, yet in the English, it falls way, way short of what Paul is actually saying. In the Greek, uh, I mean, the English words are, are tepid by comparison. The actual Greek is a verb which is used in the New Testament only here. And it is applied only to Christ. And the verb, I mean, if we wanted to come up with, with an English translation, even super exalted, God has super exalted him, falls short of it. Uh, the word actually is... Uh, and it's, it's hard to pronounce, it's hooper upsao, um, and uh, it means exalted beyond all measure. You can't even imagine he has been raised to the loftiest heights. His name has been raised so high, there is nothing higher in the entire universe than the name of Jesus Christ. This is the highest exaltation, as Christ was humiliated more than anyone ever has been the second person of the Trinity, nailed to a cross, stripped naked, scourged, and put through this awful agony of humiliation. And then, worse than that, that physical humiliation, the humiliation of having the Father turn aside from his Son and pour out his wrath upon him in our place. This is the lowest any person has ever sunk in all of eternity. And now he is raised higher than anyone has ever been raised. He who was condemned under the law because of our sins has now become righteousness for us. He is now the great example. He who was poor is now once again rich. He who had laid aside his glory takes it up again. And we need to understand this theologically. We can make some serious boo-boos here. You have to be very careful when you're speaking. Whenever you're, you're dealing with issues of the deity of Christ and the way that his manhood and his divinity interact, you, you have to be very uh, careful. Um, it was the person, the human person, of the mediator, Jesus Christ, upon whom these honors were conferred. It was his human nature which has been exalted since the divine nature, his Godhead, is not, it's not capable of humiliation or exaltation. Jesus, as God, could not have been humiliated in our place. Jesus, as man, could be. And so, too, now Jesus, as man, is exalted. Human nature is raised to its highest point ever as he enters into heaven. These two natures, we need to remember the human nature and his nature as God, they are they're separate, but they're never divided. Uh, rather, they're distinct, but never separate. I, I need to get that right. They are distinct. Um, the human nature, though, is so closely linked with the divine nature 
that uh, though it never becomes divine, as one commentator puts it, it shares in the glory of the divine. Therefore, Christ's assumption of glory is a sense, also, in a sense also a resumption of glory. He takes up his deity, coming in triumphantly to heaven. In our place, once again, manhood has been made something greater than it ever was, greater even than it was in the garden when, uh, when um, uh, Adam was placed within it. Now, speaking of glory and regarding uh, the, the issue of bowing and the bowing of the knee, Paul is not pulling this out of thin air. He is actually, he's rehearsing a prophecy from the Old Testament, specifically in Isaiah. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah, I'd like you to take a look at Isaiah 45. Thankfully, Isaiah is a very large book, so it's easy to find usually. Isaiah 45, and then starting with verse 22. Now keep in mind that the person who's speaking here is God the Father. And so we hear, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Here we have a prophecy coming of the day when the Gentiles would find their righteousness through God's provision. This is one of the many, many, many examples we find in the Bible where it's very clear that Jesus Christ is, in fact, God, that he is divine. The idea of bowing the knee is worship. We cannot bow the knee to angels. You remember we discussed before when John fell down before the angel who was giving him information in Revelation, this exalted one, this messenger of God, he says, see that you don't do that. I'm a creature. Get up. Don't bow before me. But when Thomas bows and worships God, when the disciples bow and worship Jesus, Jesus never says, get up. Don't do that. I'm a creature like you. He accepts their worship because he is God the Son. And so Paul here is saying that this one who was so humiliated the one who was laid so low in his work of redemption has now been exalted. He has entered into glory. He has once again resumed his reign at the right hand of God the Father. And so he is worthy of all glory and honor and blessing. It's our calling, therefore, brothers and sisters, to worship Christ, the very one who did these things for us, who made himself lower than we can possibly imagine, is now raised higher than we can possibly imagine. Uh, and so we, we worship him as God. Now, one of the things that we know is that when Jesus returns, and that day is coming, it's sooner than when we first uh, believed, it will be a day upon which every knee, as Paul says, will bow. Some will do this joyfully, and some will do it Ruefully, They will not be penitent, but they will be remorseful at what's going on. They'll be terrified as well of the power of the Lamb as it's displayed before him. That glory 
that is unmistakable. It is, uh, it, it's going to be quite the day when Jesus returns. I want to share some Greek words with you because uh, in, that, uh, in that section, Paul uses these words. And once again, he uses a word that's only used in, in this section of Scripture in the entire New Testament. He, uh, he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee, this is verse 10, should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. So those in heaven, those on earth, and of those under the earth. Okay, so we have three categories of knee that are going to be bowing in that particular uh, section. The first, he says, uh, are the, uh, he says that uh, those in heaven, and that's the eperanos, or aperonios. Uh, these are the, the, the angels in heaven, the, the heavenly dwellers, the cherubim and the seraphim, the messengers of God. The angels will bow before Jesus Christ. Now, you remember, I said the place to take Jehovah's Witnesses when they're saying that Jesus is just an angel is Hebrews 1. Uh, you see there that God the Father commands the angels to worship God the Son. You don't command the worship of angels by angels. Angels are not allowed to worship one another. And so here, too, we see the angels will worship Christ. Why? Because he's God. Because he is worthy of that worship. So the Uperanios is the first group of knees. The second group of knees are those on earth. That's all human beings on earth. Uh, the word there is epigaios. Um, and these are the dwellers, the earthly dwellers, um, and the terrestrial ones. Those are human beings. And we're talking about everyone on earth. Doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter what language you speak, what color you are, where you come from, where you eat, or what you believe about God, you will be bowing the knee on that particular day, one way or the other. Everyone on earth will do this. That day is coming. That is what Paul says. That is what Isaiah warned. God keeps his promises. It's not like he said, my son will return and every knee will not have to bow. Every knee will bow. The question is, will you bow joyfully or will you bow ruefully? Will you be filled with terror on that day, calling for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon you? Or will you be happy that the Lord has come back for you? Will you be filled with joy that the effects of the fall you know are gone forever? That there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death, there will be no more suffering? Is that how you will greet the Lord? You will greet him with joy? Or will you greet him with terror, realizing that your entire life has been a terrible mistake? Because you did not worship the one who you were created to worship. So that's the, epigai uh, the epigaios, all right? Uh, then there's the third, and this is the word that's not used anywhere else. Um, the word is, uh, kat oh boy, it's, it's almost Chthonian, katakathonios. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a word meaning subterranean, the, uh, the, the subterranean dwellers, the people who dwell under the earth. Who's meant there? Well, it's the evil angels. Okay, the demons and also the departed souls. The dead will worship when Christ returns. We know that there will be a general resurrection when he comes back. So even those who are under the earth now, whom we have laid in the sod, uh, those who we visit uh, in the graveyard, they too will be resurrected and they will bow the knee. And even the demons will bow the knee. One of the mistakes that people enter into is when they think of hell, they think of hell as a place where devils torture unbelievers and wicked people. 
Well, actually, no. In hell, the demons are tortured as well. Okay? It, it is a place of punishment for them and for their leader, Lucifer. He does not reign in hell. There is no place where he truly reigns. The prince of the power of the air does not have true dominion over anything. And one day, he too will be suffering in hell. All the damned, therefore, and all those who have been laid in the grave, they too will bow the knee. So we have those three different, uh, three different groups, and they will make this most important, fundamental Christian confession in the Greek, kurios Jesus Christos. Simply, Jesus is Lord. That is what we will confess on that day. Now, we know that Jesus is celebrating uh, even now his, his defeat of the devil and all of the things that stood against the interest of his elect people. And we should be celebrating it as well. And we should be confessing out loud. I, I mean, our entire lives, your entire lives, Christians, should be an open confession to the rest of the world. Curios Jesus Christos. Jesus is Lord. It should be something that you confess in your social media. It should be something you confess in the way that you work, the way that you study, the way that you interact with, with friends and relatives and, and people on your team, people in your unit, people in your classroom. It should be the case that everything about you says, I'm a Christ confessor. I'm an imitator of Christ. And one of the strongest indications that you are an imitator of Christ, and this loops back to Paul's original point, is that you're humble, that you're a humble person, that you're not consumed with self-exaltation, that you are not living your life in order to climb the ladder, that you, I, I mean, one of the worst places, I hate to say this, that I, I ever worked was Washington, D.C. I, I was amongst people whose every waking moment was consumed with climbing the political ladder. And they would happily stab people in the back in order to do that. They would climb over the bodies in order to get to the top. And they, they just, they exuded that. And those who had climbed to the top were so filled with self-importance. It was, it was, sometimes it was nauseating. You would come into there, and everybody, because they were all part of the same awful game, the same vanity fair, they would all bow and scrape before these ones. Oh, yes, you're so wonderful, and can you exalt me a little as well? You know, it was like, it was awful. It's almost Dickensian when you see it playing out in front of you. But that shouldn't be the Christian brothers and sisters, because you've already been if you're a co-heir with Christ, more highly exalted than you can believe. You're more than conquerors, as Paul says in Romans 8. Now, your reward isn't on this side, though. The glory isn't here. If you're getting your glory here, uh-oh. That's a problem, because it means you're not getting your glory hereafter, as a general rule. If you are glorified here on earth by the world, there's a problem. If you are honestly able to, to be admired, loved, and so on by absolutely everybody, then uh, you're probably not serving Christ. Because let's face it, he was not glorified. He was not exalted here on earth. But once he entered into heaven, he is exalted and shall be exalted forevermore. We, too, should be looking for our glory here. This is it's something that's very important. Um, one of the things that I try to to tell young candidates because they'll say, you know, they give lip service to it. You know, the rewards aren't here, right? Oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. 
I'm like, no, you don't. You have no idea. You have no idea how you're going to react. You know, once you're 10 years in and people are treating you very, very poorly, and you'll be like, shouldn't I be getting, you know, why is this? Or you may change the way you act in order to get people to exalt you, in order to get the glory here on earth. Many pastors do that. They play direct, you know, they just stand there and they tell the people whatever they want to hear. You're great. You're perfect. And there just is a, there's a big pool of puppies and pancakes waiting for you, you know? Don't you love my Italian suit? It's great. Anyway, um, it's, it's easy to do. You play to them, they play to you, you puff each other up and so on, and, and glory now. But that's the only glory you're getting. And that's empty. That's empty. Seventy years of that, and then you stand before Christ and have to give an accounting for the lies that you told to his sheep. That's not something I want to do. And I try to tell young men who are entering into the ministry, don't fall into that trap as well. Most of them will never go quite as far as the person I was imitating, but the, uh, uh, the fact is many of them will gradually begin to change the message in order to not offend people. I have, I have watched men who came out, you know, uh, absolutely on fire. Uh, at the end, it's no longer the, the sword of the spirit. After a while, it's the butter knife of the spirit that they're, they're wielding. And they're just slathering, you know, la, 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 on, the, on the congregation. So um, if I don't offend you, incidentally, something's wrong. You need to come and say, you haven't offended me in a while. What's, what's up? You know, this is a, um, in any event, Paul is trying to tell these believers, the day is coming for either exaltation or humiliation. Humiliation or exaltation based upon your relationship to Christ, where you were. So, brothers and sisters, let me give you just one application of all of this, all right? For the Christian, the way up is down. If you wish to be exalted someday, you need to humble yourself here, to be willing to be humiliated in order to give glory to God, as Jesus did. You should never think that you're above something or above somebody. Rather, we are all to be comparing ourselves constantly, not to one another, but to Jesus Christ, and seeing how far short we fall of the mark there. The way for us, therefore, is to submit ourselves, to submit ourselves to God and to submit ourselves to the authorities that he's put over us. In First Peter, Peter writes to the younger people. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humble yourself here on earth through this brief period of, of uh, probation, when might call it. And then in due time, you will be exalted. And the second point I'm just going to make very quickly is this. The bumper sticker's right. Every knee will bow beat the rush? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? Are you ready for his return? Or would his return right now be the greatest disaster that could ever befall you? It'll either be that day when he comes back, it'll either be the greatest day of your life or the worst day of your life. It'll either be the day when your exaltation begins forever or the day when your punishment begins forever. Remember that. 
Be ready for that day. Be looking forward to it expectantly. Don't live for the here and now. Don't live for the glory now. Live for that day, and you will do well. Let's go before our Savior and ask for his help. God, our Father, it is so hard for us to humble ourselves. We who should be devoid of pride, knowing that our salvation came to us when we were yet enemies and rebels against you. Oh, Lord, how can we be full of pride, and yet we are far too often. Help us to make you large. May Christ increase. May we decrease. Help us to assess ourselves rightly, to realize that we are sinners saved by grace. And that, uh, Lord, help us to serve one another, to put the needs of others before ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to love that service, not to do it unwillingly. And help us, O Lord, to look forward to that day when Christ